welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grisaf and this is RFI Group's podcast focused on key trends, market insights, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. The episode this week focuses on cross-border payments for businesses. Our guests include Andrew Boyajian, Head of Banking at TransferWise Canada, Jack Zhang, CEO and founder of AirWallX, and Eleanor Page, Commercial Director at RFI Group. Sarah Hollinshead, Head of Content at RFI Group, caught up with Andrew Boyajian to discuss their recently launched borderless accounts, their recent collaborations, who they look to for inspiration within digital innovation, and their plans for the near future. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk all about cross-border payments and more specifically for the business community, which is an area you have obviously recently launched into. You come from a company that needs very little introduction with TransferWise, now a very well-known brand across the globe. But why don't you start off just with a really brief overview of yourself and your, and your role there? Very well. Thank you so much for for having me, Sarah. Uh, So I've been in the payments industry for uh, just over 10 years at this point, uh, working within different payment groups at Google, Eventbrite, Kickstarter, and most recently here at TransferWise. With TransferWise, I head up our banking for North America. So I look at Canada, the United States, and Mexico as my three markets and work to make sure that TransferWise can enter the markets and establish relationships with any type of financial institutions that we might want to work with uh, in order to better serve our customers. Great. Really great overview. Thank you. Um, So I will start off with some sort of broader questions around TransferWise and then really launch into the the business side and your new uh, borderless accounts that you've launched. But just from experience, how have you seen the demand in alternative payment services shift since your inception? That's a great question. So in general, people are getting more comfortable with the idea of using non-banks to manage their finances. Mm. Uh, I've personally seen this in sort of lending, planning for home buying, day-to-day spending, uh, as well as investments and savings. And I think that largely speaking, consumers are really looking for products that match sort of their digital, mobile, and um, sort of like a catered or curated lifestyle. And fintech companies who are pretty nimble in their development and are quite attuned to their customer base are really able to meet those needs in a way that traditional payment services or banks haven't yet been able to replicate. What are you doing to continue to strengthen your corporate offering with so many new entrants now operating in this space? You've mentioned that there is a lot of fintech activity. Uh, So how are you continuing to differentiate yourself? So it's pretty simple, actually, and we're continuing to pursue the same mission that we've had since day one, which is that moving your money should be instant and eventually free. Mm. As part of that process, we were really excited to roll out our borderless accounts features to customers. And that's a product that allows customers to receive payments locally all around the world, hold a balance in over 25 different currencies, and then spend that balance or that value on an issued prepaid or debit card at point-of-sale terminals or withdraw money at uh, ATMs or ABM. Well, you've brought me seamlessly onto my next question, so thanks for that, Andrew. Um, <laughs> how have you been able to create that infrastructure to enable this borderless accounts and, and be able to offer free-to-receive accounts in multiple currencies? So part of it goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, which is partnering with strategically viewed uh, financial institutions that are willing to collaborate with us. Mm. But in short, we've built quite a bit of cool technology that allows us to manage liquidity and balances uh, within our global banking partners. 
And by keeping this treasury management internal to TransferWise, we can keep our costs low as well as know exactly where money is at any point in time. You know, again, underlying all of this is a couple of great partnerships that we have around the world with different banks that are keen on supporting fintech. Mm. So you're obviously working really well with banks, but you could say that with the launch of your orderless accounts, uh, you know, it's evident that you're diversifying your offering beyond just cross-border payments. It's a sort of more similar to a banking offering. So how does that work as an ecosystem with your partners? And I guess, do you have plans to expand beyond your current account proposition? Uh, so right now, bringing borderless accounts, so again, those local account details, stored balances, and the debit or prepaid card to all of our users, that's our top priority. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the overall ecosystem, uh, I really do think that banks enjoy working with fintechs and as, as a whole, it betters the ecosystem because we're ensuring that uh, more robust as well as stable financial services to the entire industry. Absolutely. And I think it's only going to continue, right? This kind of collaboration side and as there's more and more examples of this happening around the globe. Absolutely. And so you conducted beta testing for the borderless account with some of your existing customers, which uh, we're seeing a lot of fintech customers do this, really utilizing their fans, I guess, to, to test some of the new features. So what was, what was the biggest learnings from this? And, and did you experience any obstacles that were perhaps unexpected along the way? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I think it's still probably a little bit too early to have like the large scale learnings that you know we're all looking for from a product launch. Mm. Uh, and that's simply because we're still in the process of really opening up these accounts and their full capacities to all of our markets. But you're spot on that as a company, we're quite keen to know what our customers make of our product and our service. And then we use that feedback as part of our own development process. Uh, I know personally, I'm always excited to talk to customers and get their firsthand experience of the TransferWise service, as well as suggestions for improvements or sort of positive reinforcement on what's going well and what we should keep on doing. And so was there anything that surprised you during that process in terms of the feedback? Uh, well, one of the things that I guess, broadly speaking, was quite surprising is the excitement for the product. Uh, typically, when we think about uh, emails that go out to customers, it varies by industry, but generally open rates for email campaigns uh, can be quite low. Mm. One of the things that was cool with sort of the launch of, of this beta process was the excitement that we could see because of such high open rates that customers had, and then their willingness to click through and actually open up borderless accounts. So it really spoke to the need for this product within the target market. Mm. And can you talk more about the need for businesses in particular? So obviously, you've had a consumer offering for a while, um, and this is really just expanding on that. But from a business side, this is kind of a new uh, sector that you're targeting. So can you talk a little bit about what their responses were, what sort of needs you're filling for them? Definitely. So businesses are increasingly finding themselves in an international environment. Mm. And it used to be that that was pretty much the domain of large multinational corporations. Uh, as we know, just through use of the internet, that's not the case anymore. And what we've begun to discover is that small and medium-sized businesses also have a need for international support. And that international support can be anything from creating websites to sourcing local translations and localization to payment options and financial services that extend beyond borders. And that's really where we've seen a lot of traction is small businesses that do have this global reach and then that need a little bit of assistance managing their financial services around that. 
Great. So uh, moving on to more broadly, what is an organization that you look to for innovation within digital? It doesn't have to be finance. It doesn't have to be transfer wise view. It can be yourself. But who do you really look to as, as leading the path in digital innovation? Uh, it's too hard for me to actually just name one. And uh, I definitely tried <laughs> to sit down and think of a single one. Um, but what I saw instead was I kept coming back to sort of common themes. And one of my favorite things then is an organization that's taking technology to an existing industry or an underserved segment in an attempt to solve what's obviously a real life problem or create something tangible for customers in the real world. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be at a dinner the other night with a bunch of founders in the New York City area. And was speaking to one about her approach to offering financial services to baby boomers as they exit employment as an income and begin to take up their savings as an income. And I thought that that was actually quite cool because that's uh, an example of possibly an underserved market uh, where there is room for guidance and sort of for encouraging better financial behaviors and habits. Uh, so things like that, that uh, sort of speak to that narrow group, but have real, real powerful impact. Uh, that's generally where I find um, innovation and sort of joy within working in financial technology. Mm. It's interesting because I guess it's a part of the, it's a group that people that are leading with technology driven solutions are probably not going to look at because of their age group, right? So that's, yeah, very niche, very interesting <laughs> perspective. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite cool. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing sort of how that business develops. Mm. And so, big question, but banks and fintechs, who is going to win? <laughs> well, you know, ideally, we'll end up calling the winners both consumers and small businesses. And, uh, you know, they're going to win because of the great trends in services that we see currently, such as lower costs, more transparency, and better technology. Mm. But as for banks and fintechs, uh, I think that until there are shifts in who can access payment systems at a national level, allowing for more open and risk-based approach, which would reduce systematic risk for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, fintechs and banks are going to have to continue to look at mutual partnerships. Um, but of course, that's a win-win situation for both. Uh, so at the end of the day, I, I really don't think it's quite clear winner-loser competition. And would you pass judgment on the different markets that you're in? Obviously, the US and the Canadian banking markets are very different. Any sort of opinions on how they'll develop individually? So I'm really encouraged right now by some of the strides that we see from Payments Canada in terms of modernizing the payment system within Canada. Part of that modernization effort would include the ideas of an open and risk-based approach, uh, which broadly I think we can encourage and champion around the world. Uh, the U.S. is not quite there yet. In the U.S., we're focusing right now on building out real-time payment rails. And that is also quite exciting in and of itself. Uh, we're long overdue for some new payment rails in the U.S. Uh, so it's curious to see the different approaches in both markets. But ultimately, I think both are on a very good path. Mm, it's great that you can be so actively involved and be seen as sort of leading this, this change. It must be very exciting. Uh, well, I, th I find it exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we're all payments nerds here at Fine, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, well, that's fantastic. Was there anything additional you wanted to add? Uh, just thank you again, you know, for the time and for the great work the RFI group is actually doing. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Chloe James, Group Media Director at RFI Group, caught up with Jack Sang to discuss their success around removing the ambiguity associated with international payments transactions, 
how they're leveraging payments infrastructure within local markets, their global expansion plans and what new offering they're rolling out as a result of their investment from Tencent. So delighted to be here with Jack Zhang, the founder and CEO of Airwallex. Jack, thank you so much for joining RFI's podcast. Thank you, Chloe. Airwallex, this fantastic business that you founded, can you just tell me just a quick little snippet about the company, who you are and what you do? Uh, so Airwallex is a cross-border payment company that was founded about almost three years ago. Uh, me and these other uh, four co-founders uh, with a really simple vision to simplify uh, the international payments market to helping the businesses that want us to scale their businesses across different countries and continents to able to achieve their goals. That's why we, we founded the company. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, what you're doing is brilliant. And I think especially in that SME space, it's such an interesting space. I just wanted to kick off that we we obviously understand that feedback from SMEs is that there is this kind of uncertainty and a lack of transparency when it comes to payment transactions being completed within the current SWIFT model. And I thought it'd be interesting to kick off with how Airwallex assures their businesses complete clarity and confidence when it comes to the way that you do things. Okay, so I think uh, certainty and clarity is obviously one important thing for SMEs, but it's as important for the larger businesses and, and financial institutions as well. And the traditional SWIFT network doesn't guarantee uh, food delivery amount when you're transferring money, for example, from Australia to US, if you're sending a thousand dollar Aussie and then you convert it to US dollar, say to 800 that get transferred to the US. In this case, could be NAP, then writing through Bank of America, then hitting uh, the recipient bank, for example, is, is Bank of New York. So there's, you know, uh, multiple intermediaries in the process. Each of the correspondent bank will charge a fee for that. Uh, it's likely that 800 US dollar, when they arrive to the recipient account, it will take multiple days. It will arrive in you know 750 or $760, which for a small amount of transfer could be a quite high percentage from a cost perspective. And the uncertainty is that uh, nobody knows how many correspondent banks are going to be involved in the process. So it's really hard to know how much it's actually going to be receiving from a receiving side. Uh, it could be 750, it could be 760, right? If it's any sort of AML issues hit in the intermediary bank, uh, it's going to be a manual process to trace where the funds is and, and what problem actually happened. Uh, it takes up to 20 days to actually find where the money located and, and to resolve any issues manually. So Airwallex basically try to solve all these issues by uh, integrating with a local banking partner in each of the market to leveraging the latest innovation in payment infrastructure uh, in the local area. For example, when we're processing a payment uh, from Australia to the UK, we would leveraging the fast payment network in the UK that to process a payment domestically. Uh, then we'll basically ship the funds to UK once a day. Uh, but doing this approach that we leveraging the, the fast payment network, which is uh, real time, because we own this network that uh, we built uh, in each of the country, uh, we can guarantee that no intermediary banks involved. That's why we can guarantee. So basically, you're sending a thousand sterling that you the, the recipient will receive a thousand dollars sterling. 
And we're doing this basically in multiple uh, countries that we're sending the funds to by working with a local provider, which likely to be a bank. And on top of this, there's also a lot of unclarity around how you can't do the foreign exchange. For example, when you go to the bank, you say a price which is a buy and a sell. You know, there's no benchmark around, you know, where they come from. Basically, the bank will just make a big spread uh, where the, they feel is kind of competitive in the market. For example, in Australia, it's anywhere between 8 to 10% in a, in a retail markets, which means if you're transferring $1,000, you would lose about 4 to 5%. The middle price is where the, the market is. Airwallex would actually offer that interbank price to the other client directly uh, and then tell them upfront how much fee we're going to charge. This model is, uh, I guess, more and more adapted to uh, the business in this industry, to challenging the traditional players like the banks and, and Western Union-ish like companies. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting there is some of the the numbers that you're speaking about. So just even if it is that small skim, it makes me think of one thing of this is you're talking about just one transaction that an SME might be following and tracking the complication around just one. So if they are doing a lot of cross-border transactions, that makes things so complicated. And then, you know, the difference of 40 to $60 on the top of every business transaction could amount to a great deal. So what Airwallex is doing is absolutely brilliant. I wanted to cover as well, your APIs allow for businesses to really customize those workflows on, I guess, some very unique requirements. Do you have any examples of how, how you've been doing that? Uh, yeah, I'll give you an example. We have a client in uh, Hong Kong called High Guide. They have uh, more than 20,000 tourist guides around the world that are providing a service to Chinese consumers. Basically, if someone want to travel to Australia, uh, they want to hire a local guide to take them, drive them around for a week, uh, and they can uh, find the service on this online travel marketplace. And the, the, the requirements from this marketplace is that when the actual service provided by the local tourist guide, uh, when they withdraw, they wanted to receive the money in the local currency, basically get it as fast as possible. And from a marketplace perspective, they wanted to uh, give the transparency to all the drivers and all the tourist guides so they can basically say the end-to-end process. So when a consumer pay, the money arrived to the accounts and in one currency, when they do the withdrawal, they saw the instant conversion from one currency to, the, to another and so the whole payment process able to track where the money is. Mm. So we basically helped uh, this client to build a multi-currency wallet. We have a multiple APIs uh, that we can service them. Wallet API that to hold the funds, uh, FX API, when the driver do the uh, withdrawal, the FX price get locked straight away. So the marketplace want to do it efficiently, very cheap, and also providing a best user experience to the client. So we basically help uh, to build the entire wallet system, integrate into their own ERP or CRM system and, and how that interact with the accounting system and how they're managing, you know, banks as well. So it's kind of an all-in-one integrated solution for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's such a great indication there of how you really are tapping into that Chinese visitor market in Australia. And as you say, you are you are helping your clients, you are helping them with their clients. The knock-on effect is absolutely massive. And Jack, I know that you're doing a bit of work with WeChat Pay at the moment and some partnerships there. Can you just discuss a little bit about that partnership and how it's benefiting your customers? 
As part of the investment from Tencent, we also applied multiple licenses to basically as a VTAP pay acquire in, in multiple countries like Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, UK, and Europe. We don't really work with smaller merchants directly. So normally we work with large merchants or aggregators or banks, for example, mm. you know, basically have existing large merchant base. We would become the technology provider. Uh, and also uh, the settlement provider and the, the integration provider of this VTAPay product. Uh, I'll give example if a bank in Australia uh, wanted to provide a merchant access uh, to VTAPay to attract Chinese uh, tourists, uh, they can connect to our API from that backend, basically propagating this, this VTAPay capability to all the merchant terminal on the bank's terminal. Yeah, that's, I mean, such such a huge partner to have and obviously a very, very influential partner to have alongside Airwallex. So look forward to seeing more there. Any plans for entering the US or other markets in the world at this stage, Jack? Uh, yeah, we just hired a senior vice president in London that he's going to take on the global partnership and a sales role. And uh, then he's helping me to build a team in San Francisco at the moment. Okay, so some big plans there. That's definitely one to watch. Jack, you're a pretty innovative organization. And I was just wondering if you could shed a little light and share perhaps some thoughts on any other organizations you look at around the world. It can either be in the fintech and FS space or even alternate industries. I guess you wouldn't surprise that when you see a startup have a lot of innovation, right? But I would like to talk about a very traditional company that does really well in innovation, which is uh, MasterCard. Right. That you saw probably a lot of the banks and traditional large telecos or or insurers, they all start doing innovation. But like when I look at MasterCard, this is one example, they do it really well. They have putting dedicated team Mm. uh, that have previously done startups or or similar roles. They have done a lot of really cool things around smart city, Mm. uh, transit, B2B marketplace, enterprise partnership. So what they have done is, is far beyond that sort of stuff. For example, they can even anticipating the house price trend in Australia in the next 12 months. Mm. Basically, the, the, the house expenditures around paint, around all the renovation stuff, they saw all this data in the last 12 months. They can analyze it and they can provide a lot of insights out of it, uh, which I, I feel is a great innovation. Mm. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Thanks for citing that. We do certainly see it, see it at RFI Group. We see MasterCard doing some brilliant things as well. And it's it's actually nice to hear from someone in your position about a, you know, a very traditional, as you say, scheme and provider doing innovative things. So it's very encouraging to see, I guess, the, you know, the catch up of, of some of those big players. Jack, we always like to ask our guests on the podcast, banks versus fintechs, who will win? Uh, it's I don't know whether the battleground is open for you, whether you think it's about partnerships. I'd just love to hear your view there on on traditional banks and, and this fintech space that's so booming at the moment. I really don't think there's any sort of large-scale competition. I would say it's basically how the fintech and the bank could partnership mm. because, you know, fintechs also always moving faster uh, than a large organization. They are, are more dedicated when they're solving a problem where the bank got a very solid infrastructure Basically, uh, it's like a partnership between the infrastructure layer and application layer uh, across different verticals. I would say both parties will benefiting from this by providing a better user experience to, to the consumers and, and merchants and, and actually benefiting from ever-growing, uh, I guess, market and, and the, the market will, will continue 
mm-hmm. uh, driving from offline to online and uh, attracting more and more efficient financial services product experiences. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jack Zhang there, founder and CEO of Airwallets. Jack, really appreciate your time. Uh, absolutely a business to watch around the world. Thank you, Chloe. Next, we have Eleanor Page from RFI Group, who shares her insights on some of the key disruptive trends and opportunities within cross-border payments, as well as some excellent examples of where these opportunities are being explored globally. So today we are talking all about cross-border payments with a particular focus on business payments. And I'm I'm really delighted to be joined by Ellie Page, who is RFI Group's Global Commercial Director, who's going to take us through some of the key disruptive trends and opportunities that she is seeing in this area. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Chloe. Thanks. Great to be on the podcast. Awesome. So first off, I know, I mean, this is such a big topical space and so much we're hearing about at the moment. Why exactly are cross-border business payments an area of focus for RFI in particular? It's a really good question, Chloe. Look, in RFI's view, disruptive trends and opportunities in business payments tend to be a bit overlooked in all the buzz around consumer digital and mobile payments. But business payments have significant scale and are traditionally a much more profitable area for incumbent banking players. To give you a bit of context on this, RFI operates ongoing research into business payments across small, medium and large companies in 17 countries. From that primary research data, we can actually size up business expenditure. And let's not forget, all of business expenditure needs to be paid to another entity in some way, shape or form, which is where, you know, the business payments, the cross-border payments come in. Um, So to give you an example, in the US, RFI, our most recent estimates, put total business expenditure to be more than 37 trillion US dollars a year. In the UK, that's more than 5 trillion. So significant volume and value of payments going through yeah absolutely absolutely so while apple pay and samsung pay might be really cool and fun there's some you know big things to be looking at in the business space so not only is that value of payments really important but from a banking perspective when we layer in the cross-border aspect the actual value of these businesses to banks comes into really sharp focus Um, so again from our sme and commercial banking and payment studies RFI knows that 61% of businesses that trade and make international payments are likely to take up a new banking product in the next six months. That is only 27% when we look at domestically focused businesses. So these are more complex customers. They hold a greater number of banking products and they're way more attractive to banks from a cross-sell perspective. So again, thinking about banking Um, The business banking environment has also remained very resilient from a bank profitability point of view. So globally, we've had a trend in retail banking towards fee-free or low-free transactional banking, but that hasn't come through in business banking. Business banking has managed to maintain fee structures around bank transactions via wire transfer or ACH or EFT or whatever you prefer to call it in your market. And also when we think about the commercial card space, Commercial cards carry a higher interchange revenue than consumer cards. Um, Consumer cards have seen a lot of regulation driving down interchange rates across jurisdictions around the world, you know, everywhere from Europe to Malaysia to Australia to New Zealand, all around around the world. So, you know, while business banking is critical um, in contributing to banks' profitability, there's also this growing awareness that it's an attractive market and a profitable market for new market entrants who can work on leaner, lower cost models as well and maybe offer a better deal for businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes without saying, really, doesn't it, that with globalisation, 
so many businesses are going across border now just to mm. just to take advantage of some of those huge numbers. I certainly speak to a lot of businesses doing, you know, work in the likes of China and across Asia. And when you look at the kind of numbers they yeah. can get on the board by working within those markets, I mean, you can see why so many businesses are going in that direction. Mm. Yeah. And 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 that represents its own challenges, you know, learning to trust new business partners, suppliers in other markets. And again, this is where, you know, cross-border payments are really important in, in mm. making those transactions secure. Absolutely. In in the research that you're sort of seeing and doing, conducting as well, can you give any really good examples of where you see the opportunities being explored in, in sort of what locations and, and by which type of people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um from a cross-border perspective, there's now competition from the new retail cross-border players. So companies like TransferWise and Revolut have really changed things um, for consumers in transferring money between between countries. They've now started marketing themselves towards um, sort of SME-sized businesses. The other thing that I think you, we have to think about and talk about for cross-border payments, because it's been changing the game for some time now, and it's gathering even more momentum is the use of blockchain in facilitating payments. So we're not talking about cryptocurrencies here, we're talking about the rails, the infrastructure. Blockchain's been deployed really successfully to improve the speed and the security of cross-border payments. Um, And at the same time, it offers a lower cost infrastructure than traditional payment rails. So Ripple was a really early mover in this space. Um, There's open source companies like Hyperledger Consortium who are also becoming significant now. Mm. I was just actually having a a look at this um, recently and I've seen those traditional big IT players like IBM and Infosys are starting to play in the blockchain space and and get involved in that as well. So it really is gathering some momentum. Um, And what's particularly interesting is that the incumbent financial institutions are welcoming blockchain with open arms. So all quite recent, but um, I think the first big mover that you would have seen globally would have been RBC in Canada, who uh, did a blockchain implementation with Hyperledger for their cross-border payments. Mm. Just last December, December 2017, the Japan Bank Consortium also announced, and that's 67 banks in Japan. Now, obviously, it's marked with lots of banks, but 67 is still a large number. Mm. So they've launched um, a new Ripple pilot with Wari Bank and Shinhan Bank in South Korea. So they're doing some Ripple transfers there. Ripple and Santander are working with American Express's FX International Payments product, um, and they're now offering real-time payment processing via blockchain, um, connecting US business customers to the UK. That just got announced uh, last November 2017. So blockchain is probably, you know, a really one to think about. Yeah. It, it's totally changing. And, I mean, we, we talk often at the moment how you can't even open a paper or open a web browser without hearing about the blockchain wave. So certainly one to watch. I mean, interestingly, RFI Group has been speaking to Ripple. Mm. We spoke to the Chief Operating Officer of Ripple last year at Money 2020 in Copenhagen. Mm. Um, great to have TransferWise on the on the podcast. And we've actually got, we've got Revolut speaking at our Global Digital Banking Conference in New Zealand in April. So great to be kind of hearing about all these kinds of players and the type of work they're doing in this space. Ellie, you obviously look at trends across this area, being the payment expert and specialist. Are there any other big trends that you think anyone listening to this particular podcast on cross-border payments should be looking out for above and as well as the blockchain trend, if you like? Yeah, there's there's probably one that I think, you know, um, it's not all about cross-border, but I don't think that the importance of commercial card payments can be ignored. So, you know, cards, you talked at the beginning about trying to do business in new markets and grow your business through international trade. 
Cards quite uniquely provide a trusted and guaranteed payment choice for businesses when they're paying companies that they maybe aren't that familiar with, a new supplier, maybe to a country they're not familiar with, in a business culture they're not familiar with. So the payment networks and the cards have an important role to play in terms of you know providing that trust and security to businesses. There's a fair amount of, of innovation in this space and some M&A activity as well. So just in the past couple of years, Veeds has acquired a company called Cybersource, which is like a procurement sourcing platform, which integrates with virtual cards. And also very recently, a company called Freedom, which is a card and expense management provider. So I think MasterCard has made similar kind of acquisitions, all driven at really harnessing new technology Mm. to leverage the best out of those advantages that commercial cards Mm. have. So I'd say that's probably one, one trend to keep an eye on as well, yeah. I think a great trend to watch and it's it's really interesting to hear the likes of Visa and MasterCard really getting in depth with the newer platforms and obviously if they see it's important then they need to keep ahead of the curve and they've had market mm. share for you know however many years such big you know legacy businesses and bringing on some of the new types into what they're doing is great but listen thanks for coming on the podcast such an expert in this area we'll obviously make sure we have some of those notes people to follow up and look into cyber source and freedom and yeah really appreciate it ellie thanks no thank you it's been an absolute pleasure really great to chat chloe As always, we hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter, GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.